You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. You've heard me say it before. Uh, God has blessed this church with a wonderful group of people. We have a lot of young ministers and a lot of potential. We have a lot of musicians. We thank God for that. But God doesn't give us things so that we can hoard it. He gives it so we can multiply it. So we want to be a part of that uh, in many ways. Amen. I'm going to direct your attention this morning to Joshua chapter number 24 and verse 30. Joshua chapter number 24 and verse 30. And uh, we're up and down a lot, but one more time, if if you're able, stand. We'll read in honor of the Word of God. Um. Somebody says, man, you're up and down a lot. You know, uh, the pews did not exist in churches until about five, 600 years ago. You do know that, right? So for about a 1,000 years, they stood. In the Old Testament, they just stood all the time. So thank God for padded pews, right? Christian liberty says it's okay to sit down a little bit. Amen. But we, we uh, Bible doesn't require it, but we do stand in honor of the Word of God. Joshua chapter... Number 24, this comes to the very last portion, and this is speaking about Joshua, who was the, the leader of the children of Israel. Let's begin at verse, if you, if you look here at um, verse number 29, let's go back to 29. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Serah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance. They buried him in the border of his inheritance. I don't have a catchy title this morning, but my thought I want to share with you is simply this. It's more important where you are buried than where you were born. It's more important where you are buried than where you were born. Let's lay our Bibles down one more time. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Ask that your presence would be in this place as it is, God, but touch us individually today. Let your word change us. Let your word speak to us, I ask this morning, God. Have your way in every life, and we give you glory and honor and thanks this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I know you have a lot of options, and I know you could be in a lot of different places, and so we're so grateful and honored to have you here with us together in the house of the Lord at CTK. And uh, if this is not your normal Sunday routine, being in the house of the Lord, I'd encourage you to make it. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life. It is more important where you are buried than where you were born. It's an odd title and it's an odd subject after we just celebrated the birth of a child and the dedication to the Lord, but it is a reality that every one of us will face, and that is that we are allotted only a limited time on this earth. There is something that we do not have the luxury of choosing, and that is where we are born. And not only where we're born, but when we are born. We do not choose where we are born. We do not choose when we are born. And for most of us, as ought to be, we will also 
not choose when our exit is from this life and from this earth. We do not have the luxury of, uh, uh, of controlling that, but rather we only have the responsibility and the ability to control the interval in between our life. Our life is summed up by a dash on the tombstone. That is the essence of what we are able to control. But there is a context today from the scripture that does seem to imply that while we cannot choose when we will exit this life, we can determine where we are buried. It's the subject, it's the close of the book of Joshua, the generation that of God's people that would inherit the promised land, those that would see Amen. God supply their need and provide for them through the opening up of the Jordan River where they would cross over on dry land, where they would go into a new land and they would be the inheritors, the inhabitors, the possessors of, the Bible said, cities that they did not build, houses that they did not construct, furnishings that they did not amass, they would eat of vineyards and gardens that they did not plant. They would be the recipients of the great blessings of the Lord. In fact, God prophesied, I referenced it last week, God prophesied, if you will obey my voice and hearken to my word, he said, I will overtake you with a blessing. How many are thankful for the blessings of God? I believe that you can live a life, amen, not in perfection, but in such surrender to the Lord. No man is perfect, amen, but in Christ we are complete. But you can live a life in complete surrender to the Lord, so much to the place to where you are overtaken with the blessings of the Lord. I'm thankful today. I'm a testimony that my life has been overtaken by the blessings of the Lord. Say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there are things that are evident in my life that I do not deserve. Things that are in my life, not because of my ability or anything I did, but just because God's word is true. If you'll be faithful and obey him, God will overtake you in a blessing. Somebody thank the Lord right now together for his promise. Hallelujah. But the book of Joshua covers the generation that would leave Egypt. We know the story of, of the Exodus where the children of Abraham are taken to, to uh, Egypt and there they are sustained in the midst of a famine, but very quickly they are enslaved and Egypt becomes a type of sin. It is a place of bondage and God brings his people out of bondage and he takes them out of Egypt. Moses takes them immediately to the promised land and God shows them all that he has to give them. And he says, I want to bless you with the promised land. And the children of God had the audacity to say, no, thank you. God was trying to bless them, and they said, no, thank you. Can you imagine that? Now, let me just help somebody out this morning. If God comes by and wants to bless you, don't say no, thank you. Okay? Because if God, who knows all and sees all, wants to bless you, then you probably need a blessing. Don't say no thank you. It wasn't exactly a no thank you in, in so many matters of words, but it was a no, I don't think I'm able, I don't think I'm deserving, I don't think I'm capable, 
And they made it again about them, which is always the mistake. But God was saying, look, I want to give you all of these things. And they said no. And so they walked around the wilderness for 40 years. And then there was a new generation, children that were born that had never been in Egypt, that never knew all of those things. And, and it was that children, that generation that were weary with the wilderness and they were anticipating the promises that God had for them. And Joshua would be the leader that would lead them into the promised land. And there are spiritual applications that the Old Testament brings to us through this story. We are not in an Old Testament context, going around with swords and spears trying to conquer and take dominion, that, that, that's not the case. If you go back and you study that, the children of Israel were God's chosen uh, uh, judges, let's say, in that time. Because God, the Bible tells us that God had tried to have relationship with all of the other nations and all the other people, but they had rejected God and they had fallen into gross idolatry, horrible things that I, I, I won't even speak of publicly, but you can read it in your own Bible of things that they were involved in. And God said, look, I cannot let this go on anymore. And so I'm going to dispossess the people that are living in that land. And I am going to give this land to the people that are following after me. And so Joshua is, is going with the children of Israel and they are going as the representatives of God. And not only the representatives of God, they are going as a witness and a testimony against the people of Canaan, saying that if you will just obey God, God will provide for you. And it was in that context that God would use Joshua and the people to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. You think that's so mean, that sounds so cruel, that God would drive them out, that God would dispossess. Here's what happened. They cross the Jordan River, and the first city that they come to is the city of Jericho. And there Jericho had walls built around it. The walls were so big that it's been said they could have chariot races on top of the walls. They had built up their city, and they were saying, look at how great we are. We don't need the God of heaven. We are so great by ourselves. But there was one lady who saw the children of Israel, and she said, I'm desiring to be like them. I want to be like them. And God spared Rahab in that moment, and he spared everyone that was in Rahab's house. And the children of Israel marched around Jericho. They never lifted a sword. They never lifted a shield. They just marched around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they marched around it, and they praised, and they worshiped, and they magnified God. And when they did that, the walls fell down, and chaos ensued in the city. And, and those of Jericho fell upon themselves. And there was this great slaughter. All they had to do was follow after God and live for God and God would dispossess the people. But if there was anyone that saw the children of Israel and said, I want to be like them. I want to serve their God. I want the blessing that they have. If they would do that, God would spare them and God would save them. God was letting it be a witness that if you will put your faith and trust in God, God will spare your life. It doesn't matter if you've lived your whole life in Jericho, a part of the system and a part of the corruption and the immorality. The moment that you
you decide that I want to be a child of God, I want to put my faith in God, God would spare them. And God spared the house of a harlot named Rahab and everyone that was in that house. That was the testimony, amen, that God wanted to send out to all of the people of the land of Canaan. God's desire was not for there to be slaughter, not for there to be judgment, but God's desire was there to be repentance and conversion. But when people didn't repent, he sent his people in and he said, okay, you got to go to another city. You got to march around that. You got to worship me and you got to see the, the iniquities and all of that abolished and put out. And so the book of Joshua is the generation that goes in and possesses the promised land. And the promised land represented so many things for them. It represented a place that was theirs. It represented a place of protection. It was a place they could call their own. It was a place where God would provide. The promise of the promised land was this. God says, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and with honey. And so this was substance. This was, folks, when you're walking around the wilderness, you don't have a lot of milk and honey. When you're living in Egypt, they didn't have milk and honey. They ate garlic and leeks. Now, I like garlic a little bit, but not a garlic a lot. Like, I'm, I don't just pick up garlic and just eat it by the cloves. You know what I'm saying kind of thing. I mean, you, you, you try that, you'll start smelling like garlic. Like, not just your breath. Like, you'll start sweating. Like, you're just going to smell like big garlic. You know, that's not really the idea of a promised land. And that's what they were doing in Egypt. And God says, no, I'm going to take you to a place that flows with milk. And with honey, there's going to be a fatness. There's going to be a fullness. There's going to be a sweetness. There's going to be a fulfilling. You're, you're not going to be craving. You're, not going to, you're going to have some sweet. This is a rich stuff. This is not stuff, amen, that, that you just readily have. This was, this was the spoils. This was the, uh, 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 the, the increase, the luxurious items of that day. And God said, this is what I want to give to you. And so the promised land had the benefits and the blessings of God. It was abundant and its blessings, and that's what it signified for them. And so all through the book of Joshua, he, they come in, and they're giving these different areas, and in chapter 23 and 24, they divide out the land, and they say, okay, to everyone that believes, to this tribe and this family, you're going to have this portion, and you're going to have this segment, and all this. And it, when it was done, in chapter 19, after they had divided all the land, the people looked at Joshua and they said, Joshua, now I know you're a part of another tribe, but you have been a leader, and you have led us, and you have helped us. And so the people told Joshua, they said, Joshua, we are going to give you your own space. We're going to give you your own place. Joshua, what do you want? And Joshua said, well, give me the city of, of, of Timnath-Serah over on Mount Ephraim. That would be what I want. And so they gave to Joshua and all of his family, they gave him his own city and his own place and this was what Joshua had and so Joshua has his own life and his own city his own dwelling his possessions he is now living in the promised land Joshua now has not only a house that he didn't build okay think about this not only gardens that he didn't plant not only furnishings that he didn't have to buy praise God glory hallelujah but now he's got a city and a city in that context was not a city like the context of our day, but it was a place of community. And a city would have a wall. It would have a barrier of protection. It would have a supply. It would have, you, you can go out and live in the wilderness, but it is awful nice to have running water. 
and, and then you got to take care of, of the sewage and the trash. You got to have, you got to have, a city has the benefit of having all of that kind of stuff. And so this was a place ready. It was not only a place that would sustain him and make his life comfortable, but it was a place where he didn't have to worry about his wife and he didn't have to worry about his children. And he didn't have to worry about his grandchildren. They already had things established. They already had the comforts and the protection and, and he had provided for them and there was a place of rest and there was plenty and all of that. And then it comes down to the back of the book and the end of the book and Joshua's 110 years old. What, what, what a wonderful life he's lived. He's seen so much. And then it declares and it says, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Sarah. They buried him in the border of his inheritance. One translation said it this way, they buried him within his inheritance. They buried him inside of everything that God had promised. They buried him in the blessings of the Lord. Joshua was not left to live out some other place, but but he was buried within the promises of God. He was buried within the inheritances of God. The significance of that is that Joshua's life was not in vain. He did not live all of his life and it was just waste and it was nothing. No, he, he, he was born. Think about this. Joshua was born in Egypt. He was born in slavery. He was born disenfranchised from God's purpose and God's will. And the promised land to Joshua was just a hope. It was just a dream that was cast out there. But what Joshua was born into while that hope was still there, it had been suspended for over 400 years. And, and he didn't know if he was ever going to see it. He thought, well, maybe it'll be my great, great, great grandchildren that'll finally see this. But I will never see it. But Joshua's life was not in vain because even though he was born in slavery and even though he was born outside of the promises of God, Joshua died and was buried within the inheritance, within the blessings of the Lord. I think there's a message in this and I think what the book is trying to let us know is that it's more important where you're buried than it is where you are born. And if I would unfold that, I would say it's more important how you end your life than how your life begins. And don't get hung up on all the mistakes and don't get hung up on the derailments and don't get hung up on the detours. You're not defined by that. What is going to define you is how you're buried and where you're buried. Hallelujah. Don't, don't, don't be buried on the outside looking in. Don't be buried saying, I wish I was like that, but you're never like that. Don't be buried hoping for deliverance, but you're still bound by the addictions. Don't be buried with the promise that God wants to give you a possession in the promised land, but you still got an affinity for Egypt. It's not as important where you're born, but it's real important how you finish life and where you're buried, where you're laid to rest, where your life is finished. That is the point. Amen. Sometimes we're in despair and sometimes we're depressed by the way things happen. I'm going to tell you, in life, you are going to be upset. I'll give you a prophecy today. Life is going to be good. And then it's going to be bad. And then it's going to be good. And then it's going to be bad. The sun is going to shine. 
And then you're going to go through a season where you're not going to see it. And then it's going to come back out, and it's going to be 90 degrees in September again. That's life. It's going to happen. Don't get hung up on those things. What matters is not all of the little inconsistencies and the failures, but it matters how you end your life. Joshua, you were born in slavery. You had the hope of exile, or, or, or rather the exodus and deliverance. God brings you out, and Joshua, your feet tread upon the promised land. Joshua, you saw, amen, you saw the place where the giants were big, where, where the grapes were so large, one cluster of grapes was so large that two men had to carry it. Folks, I don't know about you, but I mean, just imagine that. Next time you go to Schnooks and you pick up the grapes, or you go to Aldi's, wherever you, and you pick up that little cluster of grapes, think of a cluster of grapes so large that two people have to carry that. I've never seen that in my life. But this is what God was trying to give to them. Joshua, you saw it. You tasted of it. But because someone else got in your way, you were withheld from it for 40 years. But Joshua, in those 40 years of marching through the wilderness, you never gave up. You never quit. You never stopped believing. You never stopped trusting in God. You never stopped worshiping. You just stayed faithful. That was 40 years of 110 you'd like to, to skip. That was 40 years that you would like to, to rewind and just to take out of your life but nonetheless you lived it there was 40 years of depression 40 years of despair 40 years of a reminder every day it's not going to happen the promise is without reach but Joshua you stayed faithful and because you stayed faithful you and Caleb were one of only two that were able to march into the promised land you crossed the Jordan River you saw God dispossess the promised land of, of unrighteousness righteousness and iniquity and now you have settled down you've seen God build your house you've seen God establish the walls of protection you've seen God bring rest to your days and you were buried within the border of your inheritance can I tell you today there is a spiritual parallel for us today and that is this that the promises of God as the word said are yea and amen God has things for us amen to partake of there is a table spread as the old song says where the saints of God are fed and I'm going to tell you wisdom has spread her table and there is everything that you could desire whatever you need in your spirit whatever you need in your soul I'm not talking about the tangible things of life I'm talking about the intangible things that you can't put a value on things like true rest from weariness three things like peace amen that passes all understanding things like comfort when you're going through a storm Things like joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Things that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. That's what God has provided for us. Hallelujah. The promise of God is not that you would just have a table spread, amen, in the good times. Not that you would just have the blessings, amen, of God in the good times. But he said, there's a table in the wilderness, in the dark times. How many can testify that in your lowest times, God has still provided a table in the wilderness? Amen. You can walk through. I, I can look around this room and I can see sickness and disease and derailments in relationships and finances, 
but you hung in there and you stayed true to God and God's word was true to you and he carried you through the storm. Hallelujah. Can I just remind you, we got to be careful that we're not fooled when we come to church and we drive up in our car and we got a little money in our pocket and we're able to put on our Sunday best and come to the house of God and all four hubcaps are matching on our car now and the house is clean, amen, and the dog's fed and we walk in and start thinking we're something and we're somebody, but if it had not been for the grace of God that carried us through the storm and through the dark season and through the low point, hallelujah. Am I in the word? He said he'd give us a table in the wilderness. Hallelujah. Do I have any wilderness testimonies in the house that God has brought you through? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we don't just come to church on Sunday morning and the choir get up and sing about how he's a mighty God because everything's going good. We can come in here today and sing even when things aren't going good because God has proved himself time and time again. And I'm not here just when I feel like it. I come to church when I don't feel like it because I know there's a table that's spread in the wilderness that God sustains in my heart and in my life. Not only does he provide a table in the wilderness, but he says, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> Hell can't conquer, amen, what God has set out in front of you. Hell can't take away, amen. And sometimes all hell is fighting you and all of uh, 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 the enemy's empires. And it seems like, my goodness, are the devils just following me around? Sometimes they may be, amen. But God's grace is sufficient. Wow. These are the things that we have. And Joshua was buried within the border of his inheritance. So where are, you, where are you and I going to be planted? You know, there's some phrases that we've lost in our, in our vernacular and our terminology today that are, that are old-fashioned. We don't use them anymore. People used to talk about being laid to rest. When someone passed away, they were laid to rest. People used to also maybe humorously talk about where they would be planted. They were talking about their grave plot, their, their place of burial, where, where, where are they planted. But both of those phrases are steeped in the theology and the understanding of resurrection. That this life on earth is not the end of our existence, but that there is something more that we are living for. Scholars say that the first book probably penned in our Bible chronologically authored was probably the book of Job, somewhere around the era of Abraham, before Moses would assemble and write after spending two, two uh, trips up the mountain for 40 days with God, and he would write the first five books of, of the Old Testament that we have. Job was already written. It was the first book. If you read the book of Job, it informs so much of the Psalms and the Proverbs, and even, even the theologies that are fundamental in Genesis, we find those remnants and, and the foundations even in the book of Job. And Job himself said his hope was in the resurrection, that his hope was not just in this life. And so that means that at the time of Abraham, around the era of Abraham, they already knew, amen, that there is more to life than just this life, that my life on earth is going to have a beginning and it's going to have an ending, but when it's over, if I follow after the Lord and I trust in the Lord, my, my hope is not just in this earth, but it's beyond this earth. Job, Job said this, he said, though in, in my, my body these skin worms destroy my flesh, uh, uh, my body, he said, yet in my flesh I shall see God, yet in my existence. 
Christ. And someday there will be a resurrection where I will be able to see the Lord. I'm going to live with the Lord. And so ultimately it doesn't matter how much I lose or what happens. What matters is where the position of my spirit is, where the position of my heart is. And that's where Job makes this great statement. God, I, I, I came into this world naked and, 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 and the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm not going to go against God because my hope is in God. And someday, even though this life is over, someday I will join together with him. Amen. The Bible says in the New Testament in uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. I'm going to tell you, it's more important where you're buried <laughs> than where you were born. Come on, you got to bury yourself somewhere. In, in this spiritual term, we bury that old man. And I don't bury it out there in sin. I bury it in the name of Jesus Christ. I bury it within the promise and the border of the inheritance that God said, I'll wipe away all your sins. I will remit your sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. And look at what Paul said. He said, therefore, we are buried with him with baptism that like as Christ was raised, amen, up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even and so we also should be walk in newness of life. He said, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. When the old timers were talking about being planted, they understood. When I pass away from this earth, my life on this earth is over, but where I am buried is just a planting because there is a resurrection someday. There is a hope beyond this life that I am living for and where I am planted is more important than where I was born. Born. I may have been born in bondage. I may have been born in addiction. I may have been born in sin, but I am being planted together in the promises of God. And herein lies our hope that I can pass from this life with the constant assurance that I've been buried within my inheritance. That when my life is laid to rest, amen, I don't have to worry about what is going to happen in the future because I've been laid together. I've been buried within the border of my inheritance. This is the subject of the last chapter, Joshua chapter number four. You see in promise, there is, in the promised land, God gives us promises. I could touch on a couple of things. Number one, the first promise God gives us is the promise of rest. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you Rest In Isaiah, he talks about the rest wherein the weary shall rest. He gives that promise to his people. And then in Hebrews, you can go and look at it, and Paul talks about it. The author of Hebrews writes and says, look, if God has given us a promise, don't miss out on the promise. Let the rest be inside of your heart. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of weary people in this life. Weariness is something that you struggle with. Weariness. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever just get weary? You just get weary with life like, man, I tell you, that's normal. That's human. It's human. There's a weariness there. I want to tell you the promise that God has given to us is that there is a promise of rest. I'm going to tell you, I thank God that we don't have to wait, but we can have rest in the spirit of the Lord right now. You can have rest in the spirit of the Lord right now, but even in, in the infilling of the spirit of the Lord, spiritual baptism in your life, 
the rest, you still are in your flesh. Someday there will be no more weariness. And he gives us that promise in Revelation. There's a promise of provision in our life. Psalm 36 and 8, he says, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures. God says, I'm going to sustain you. I am going to provide. I am going to fulfill. Come on, are you... My wife had me on a detox diet the other month. And uh, uh, I, I blame her for a lot of things. You know what I'm talking up here. It's tongue-in-cheek. I've, I've got to just clarify that. My wife is a sweet, precious, wonderful angel. And I needed to do it, and I agreed. I, I, I signed the contract. I willingly walked into that one. Um, and I said, I was, so, so we, 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 we stripped away all grains, all sugar, all, it was horrible. And I'd eat, I'd eat platefuls of soup. You know, salad, you can eat plate after plate after plate of, of salad till you can't eat no more. And you walk away and you're like, man, I'm hungry. It's just, it's crazy. Just, man. And, and that's good stuff. God, thank God for that. But in life, sometimes spiritually people are fulfilling themselves they're eating things and they're gorging on things, but they never satisfy. They never satisfy because there's things, God says, he says, I will abundantly satisfy you with the fatness of thy house and thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures. God wants to give you a fulfillment. That when you walk out, you say, look, I don't, I don't have to look for anything else. I've found it. People say, well, aren't you missing something by living your life for God? Aren't you missing out on things? I'm going to tell you, when you found something good, I don't have to try something else. Because I've found what I've been looking for. This satisfies me. You don't understand. I'm satisfied. I'm not looking for anything else. Don't look at me and feel sorry for me that I'm missing out. Because I've been satisfied with the blessings of the Lord inside of my life. And there's people who experience all kinds of things in the world, and you think, oh, wow, look at them. They're experiencing all kinds of things, and look at what they're doing. They're going here and all this stuff, and, 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 and we can prop up with, with media and magazines and everything else, and we see all these celebrities. Look at all these wonderful things they're doing, but then look at the disproportionate amount of depressions and suicides and divorce and, and things that, that testify to dysfunction in their life. I don't want to be chasing after those things never satisfied. I have found what I'm looking for. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. I found it. I'm satisfied. And he gives us his promise. In Philippians, he said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I've not only found something that's satisfied, but I have found a resource, amen, that provides. I don't even know what I'm going to need tomorrow, but I already know he's already made a way and he's already provided. He's already there. I, I, I'm not depending on the government. I'm not depending on somebody else for my happiness or my hope. I have found it in Christ Jesus. So not only has God given me rest, not only has God given me provision, if they'll come to the music, he gives me protection, the angel of the Lord. Psalm 34, 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. If you put your trust in God, guess what? You're not living for life on your own, but the angel of the Lord encamps round about you. You know why? Hey, man, I look like I, 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 I'm a little bit happier maybe than somebody else is not because of me but it's because of the angel of the Lord. 
And when you look across and you see somebody, man, they're blessed. Wow. Look at that, man, they're just blessed. Wow, we, we, we've got to be careful that we never use the word lucky. Well, you're lucky you've been married for so many years. You're lucky that you've had this happen, and you're lucky that... No, I'm going to tell you, it's the goodness and the blessings of God because it's not man's ability. Amen. Every step of life takes mercy and grace. And if we have anything, it's because of the goodness and the grace of God. And this is what David was testifying to. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what he was saying? He was saying, the angel of the Lord encamped around about me. David was saying, when you look at me and you see a king... Don't say, oh, he's lucky. David's saying, no, I'm only here because of the blessing of the Lord. And then David doesn't say, well, God blessed me, but he didn't bless you. No, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Everything God's done for me, David says, God can do for you. Everything that God's put in my life, God can put in your life. That's the testimony that we have today. Joshua was buried within the border of his inheritance. He died in promise. He died in faith. He tasted the milk and the honey. Now, the very, very last part of the book of Joshua picks up with a character, prominent character, that comes out of the last part of the book of Genesis. Joshua was buried in the border of his inheritance. Here's the interesting thing about Joshua. Joshua was born in slavery, but he died in the promised land. But the last part of Joshua closes with, and the bones, in verse 32, of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground, which Jacob brought, bought of the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. So God, God contrasts something here because we see Joshua... But then we see Joseph. Joseph was different than Joshua in this. Joseph was born in the promised land. Joseph was the son of Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, who was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham left the city of Ur, looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is the Lord. He wasn't looking for an earthly city. He was looking for a spiritual city. He was looking for a heavenly city. But God said in this life, I'm going to give you a land. Abraham goes and he pays for the burial plot there for Sarah, where Sarah was buried. He, he, he purchases that place. But then Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, also purchases the place. So when the Israelites go back to Canaan, they were not dispossessing. They were not stealing something. They were actually going back and possessing what they had already rightly purchased, what God had provided for both Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to purchase. Joseph was born in the promised land, the son of Jacob. But because of his brothers and his betrayal and some bad things that happened in Joseph's life, some things that you would not want to happen to you and me, Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph's slavery ends him up in Egypt in a prison. But because he stayed faithful to God and the gifts that God gave him of the interpretation of dreams, Joseph is placed second in command of all of Egypt. Incredible story. Really not able to really truly comprehend that this has actually happened, happened. And then God uses that season to sustain his people in a famine. Not only to sustain his people, but to enrich his people. And all of Jacob's family comes, and Joseph 
He's a type of Christ in the sense that he shows grace and mercy and provision for them. Joseph dies in Egypt. He was born in the promised land, but he dies in Egypt. The children of Israel were not yet in bondage. They were not yet in slavery. But when Joseph dies in Egypt, he's dying because they're sustaining a promised land. They, they still own land. They still have inheritance back in the promised land, but he, he's never seen it again. And Joseph makes a mandate and a decree, and he prophesies to the children of Israel. As a prophet of God's people, he says, when you leave this place, he said, there's going to be a day. We are not always going to stay in Egypt. Right now, I may be in Egypt, but I'm in Egypt because God brought me here for a purpose. But I'm not under slavery. When you leave this place, you are together my bones which means Joseph was never buried in Egypt. He said, even though I'm dying in Egypt, do not bury me in Egypt. Do not set up a memorial for me in Egypt. Do not set up a tomb for me in Egypt. But when you leave this place, you carry my bones and you're going to take me back and you're going to bury me in the inheritance. You're going to bury me in the promised land. You're going to take me back to that place. Because Joseph understood that this life on earth really doesn't matter. But there was symbolism. He said, don't leave my bones here. Don't you bury a memorial. Don't you set up a plaque. Don't you set up a shrine for me because this is not home. This is the place where God sustained us. But our home is in what God promised. It represents, it signifies there. And I know my bones are not going to walk on this earth again. And I know I'm living for the resurrection. But just as a point of order, just as symbolism, you carry my bones back to that promised land. And you plant me in the inheritance that God has already destined for me. You set it in that place, and I want my children and my children's children, my grandchildren, I want them to be able to walk by the memorial and the tomb in the inheritance say, here's Joseph, a man that never quit on God, a man that never walked away from God, but a man that stuck it out, and he was buried also in the border within his inheritance. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter all the details in your life, but it doesn't matter where you're buried. It matters where you're planted. And Maybe some things have happened. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you made some gross mistakes and you found yourself in some pits and some other stuff. But you can say, listen, don't build my memorial here on this earth. Come on, don't let my life be reduced to just a little tomb out there. Don't let my life be reduced to some little notary, uh, uh, notable obituary in, 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 on this earth because my life is not about what this earth is. My life is about living up there somewhere, the inheritance that I'm going to have with the Lord. Would you stand together with me today? David said this in Psalm 23. He said, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. And he said, my cup runneth over. The blessings of God have been great in my life. I don't want to walk away from this because I'm a child of God. I belong to God. And his promises are the things that I'm chasing after. Can I tell you, if you're chasing after money, if you're chasing after fame, if you're chasing after career, if you're chasing after hobbies, do all that stuff. Have fun. Enjoy that. God gives that to us. But don't make that the end of all, all of your life because your life is more than that. God has a promise of rest. He has a promise of provision. He has a promise of grace and mercy, of forgiveness. He has a promise of everlasting life for you. And that's what I'm saying. You've got to bury yourself within the inheritance. What's the inheritance of the Lord? Well, he said, if any man would come after me, let him, let him take up his cross. And follow me. 
If he save his life, he's going to lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he shall find it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise that God wants to give to you today. So my challenge to you, my charge to you, is it's more important where you're buried than it is where you're born. Maybe today you're facing situation, circumstance. Maybe you've made a wreck of things. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe it's secret things that nobody else knows about. But God knows today. And God wants you to reach out to him because he's reaching out to you and he's saying, look, I've got a table spread for you. I want to change your life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you today for your word, and I thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for your spirit today. God, today we are not, we are not blessed just because we showed up, God, but we are blessed when we put our faith and our trust in you. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Blessed is the man that puts his trust in him. God, we come to the point now where the blessings of the Lord don't, don't continue beyond these doors unless we put our faith and our trust in you. And I'm praying today, God, for that man, for that woman, for that father, mother, that husband, that wife, that son, that daughter. God, who today is carrying a burden that they would lay it down and that their faith would be in you, that they'd put their trust in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'll, we're going to close out this service today and they're going to sing and I want to open up these altars and this is a custom that we do. We give you a chance to pray because I'm not the greatest speaker in the world and, and my speaking is not going to change your life but what will change your life is when you give your heart to the Lord. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm going to challenge you today to find a place to pray, to take a moment and say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life and I wonder if I can open up this altar here Amen, I don't want to invade anybody's space, but would you join me at an altar and say, God, today I'm going to give you my life because my hope is not in this life. My hope is in another life. I want to be buried within the border of my promise. When my life is finished, God, I want to know where my future destination is determined. I want to step today to towards